Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Christian life is full of trials. The Apostle Paul said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Some of you came here this afternoon after a week of various kinds of trials. Many of you are undergoing trial at work, stress is heightening in your marriage, your children. Some of you are being tested physically. The body is worn out or in pain. Test results are uncertain. Some of you are being challenged financially. The bills keep adding up. Living expenses are rising and income is declining. Some of you are mourning the loss of a loved one. And you're wondering, among all these trials, what is God doing? And since... The Christian life is full of trial. The Christian life must be full of reminders. We need to be reminded of what we are called to do when under trial because it's so easy to forget what we must do. Some of this has to do with incorrect thinking about trials and what it means to count it all joy. Some Christians have assumed that what is called for here is a pretending that all is well in the face of trial. Dr. Scott Swain President of RTS in Orlando provides a helpful correction illustration. He says, We often think of the heart as if it were a cup. And sometimes we have negative emotions that fill that cup. When we read in scripture, count it all joy or fear not, we think that maybe we're supposed to pour out the bad emotions and pour in good emotions. But he says, That's not what the scripture is after, that's not how the heart works. Scripture understands that the heart is not a cup which can just pour negative emotions out and pour good ones into. The heart is more like a balance scale. When trials come our way, they give us real reasons for sorrow that weigh down our hearts. But when James and other authors of Scripture encourage us to count it all joy, he says what they're trying to do is give us counterweights. They're trying to give us other reasons to rejoice even as we bear the sorrows of our trials. So as we come to this text... Think of the call to count it all joy as the call to put those trials, those challenges on the balanced scale of your heart this afternoon. The call to perfect joy even as you sorrow. Right now that scale may be tipped over to the sorrow side. But what we're going to do this afternoon is lay upon our minds and our hearts the counterweight of these eternal truths. So that even as we sorrow like the Apostle Paul, who had anxiety for the churches, like the Lord Jesus who wept the night of his betrayal. Even as we sorrow, we can rejoice. You see, to counter our joy is to balance the scale of our hearts so that as we face difficulty, we can rejoice because of how God is working. The main point of our text is when you meet it, count it, because God is working in it. First notice that when you meet it, count it because God is testing you and growing you. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
for you know that the testing of your faith. You see, this is the first reason you need to put on the scale of your heart, even as you sorrow, so that you can rejoice. What does James say? For you know that the testing of your faith. He's telling the believers who are reading his letter and us this afternoon, the first reason you have to rejoice is that God is testing you. Why? For a real faith. Now, you might wonder, how is that a comfort? Or how can that be love? But we need to remember that God's love is not like our love. God's love is not a feeling and and nothing more. As one writer put it, the goodness and kindness of God are his love. God's love is not a roller coaster of emotion, but a perfection. God's love is not a passion, but an action. So when God disciplines those he loves, when God rebukes those he loves, God tests those he loves. And this is the kindness and goodness of God and nothing less. Our confession of faith in chapter 17, paragraph 1 says, The sensible side of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation. Brothers and sisters, even as the Lord tests you for a real faith, his love does not change towards you. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, quoted in Hebrews 12, 5, the Lord says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof for the Lord proves him whom he loves as the father, the son in whom he delights. You see, the Lord tests those whom he loves. Why? 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two. Paul says there, but when we are judged by the Lord, and this is within the context of examining ourselves as we participate in the Lord's Supper, he says, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. You see, the judgment Paul is referring to in this passage is not a judgment of condemnation, but a judgment of discipline. But the Lord tests those he loves, and he tests them to assure them that their faith is real. As we will see in this passage this faith will be rewarded. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Having just spoken of our salvation by God's power, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just think about it. If you do not have a real faith and you're undergoing trial, that trial is just a foretaste of eternal misery. The greater tragedy would be to deliver you from that trial and leave you thinking that you are right with God. And you're not. But God tests his children because he loves them. And to assure them, he tests you so that you can look at your faith, that gift of his grace, and rest assured that it is real. Rest assured that he is working to preserve you, your faith. You see, a faith remains under trial is a mark of a real faith that God has given and he preserves. Let that truth of God's work in your trial counterbalance your sorrow. Let that truth of God's work in your trial lead you to rejoice. God is testing you because he loves you. God is testing you to assure you that your faith is real. So when you meet it, count it, because God is working 
in it. He's testing you for that real faith. And as you meet it, count it because at the same time he is testing you for a real faith, God is growing you in a steadfast faith. James writes, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here we learn that God is at work in your trial, growing you in a steadfast faith. Sinclair Ferguson comments on this word steadfast. He writes, it has its root in the idea of having the ability to remain under something, a weight or a burden of some kind. It is the ability to take the strain and remain standing under a load that could crush you. You see, the Christian who is growing in steadfast faith doesn't collapse under trial. They're like an Olympic weightlifter that snatches and raises a heavy-laden bar until it's above their head and until the judge has signaled a successful lift. But the point James is stressing here is not steadfastness just for steadfastness. But he is also working in you what follows. He's stressing what issues from steadfastness. As we learned a moment ago, God is testing us for a real faith. And a steadfast faith is actually proof of that. A steadfast faith, then, is the grace which leads to all other graces of Christian character. Look at Romans 5, 3 through 4. Paul says, there not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. He puts a string here, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And that's the synonym for steadfastness. And he says endurance produces character and character produces hope. You see, the reason why James highlights steadfastness is because it reminds us that all the other graces are the result of endless hours of testing and more testing, days of of stress and more stress, years of consistent strength training. This doesn't mean it's not painful, though. This doesn't mean we rejoice in the pain itself. But this does mean that this is what God is working in us. This is what God is doing for us. This is what he's doing for us in the stress, in the trial, growing us in a steadfast faith that issues in Christian character, that issues in the kind of character that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ, our master. And so when we meet it, We ought to be encouraged to count it all joy because God is working. He's testing us for a real faith, and he's growing us for a steadfast faith. But James doesn't stop there. He knows that one of the first temptations in trial is to do what? Is to give up or suggest we have been tried enough. So he continues reminding us so that when you meet it, count it. Because God is not only testing you for a real faith. He is not only growing you for a steadfast faith, but he's perfecting you and preparing you. This is what we see in verse 4. James writes, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want you to first notice that God is perfecting you for a wise faith. James tells us to let steadfastness, let this weightlifting, this strength training, this remaining under have its full effect. These words also have been translated as letting it have its perfect work. The idea is that you don't stop, that you don't let in. You continue to grow in steadfast faith. You continue to trust in the God who has brought you 
in your trial until the finish. And why? James says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This phrase in one sense concerns the present and in another sense concerns the future. In one sense, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing concerns right now. If you look at James 1.5, James makes it plain that lacking in nothing does not mean sinless perfection. He exhorts the Christian to ask for wisdom when they lack it. So in a sense, James is exhorting us to continue to be steadfast under trial because God is working to perfect us for a wise faith right now. If we are to find joy in our trials right now, it's because God gives his people right now wisdom in the trial. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's discerning what we need to do in light of what it's true. So when James speaks here of continuing to be steadfast, his encouragement is that while we remain under trial, God is perfecting you. He is working, and he is perfecting you for a wise faith. He's teaching you what to do. God is making you into a well-rounded, well-balanced, well-equipped Christian. God is working in it so that you can live a healthy and a fruitful Christian life. This may mean staying at the job that you're in or leaving your job. But God is perfecting you for a wise faith that adorns the gospel nonetheless. You see, this, this growing, this perfecting, is progressive until the very end. So that the less you lack, the more you're given to live in light of the gospel. J.C. Ryle says, The gospel was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, our memories, and tongues, but to be seen in our lives, to be adorned. So let this truth balance the scale of your heart and sorrow. God has not forsaken you. God has not hidden himself from you. But as his word says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and he says, it will be given to you. Ask him now. Christ is especially present. His word is being preached. He is speaking to you. Ask him for wisdom so that when you meet it, you can count it all joy because God is perfecting you for a wise faith. At the same time, in another sense, perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing should remind us of the future. Not only the present, but the future. James knows that we can be a forgetful people. That sometimes our perspective is jaded, not only because of wrong thinking about trials, but because we're so caught up in the present that we fail to look ahead. But not only is God perfecting us for a wise faith now while we're under trial, God is preparing for us a rewarded faith later after we have stood the test of trial. God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. A few verses down in verse 12, James gives us an important beatitude. As we remain under trial, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Trials are not pleasant, trials are evil. But as one commentator said, God makes them productive. 
He says, this makes all the difference in the world and the world to come. So far, we have briefly meditated on the true reality that God is at work for us in our trials. God is testing us for a real faith. God is growing us for a steadfast faith. God is perfecting us for a wise faith. And here we learn that God is indeed preparing us for a rewarded faith. It's here we are reminded that with the trial, with the challenge, with the pain comes a promise. The promise is a crown of life with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more stress, no more trial, no more trouble. Why? Because the crown of life will be given and this life is eternal. The promise here, the fullness of blessing here, my friends, is the sinless and trialless life with God forever. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what he will award to all who love him. Here's another reason to count out joy under trial, because trials may be your life now, but it won't be your life later. Today is not the end. Tomorrow is not forever. We can weep and rejoice here and now because our promise of reward is God himself. The life of God is in the soul of every believer. But the fullness of blessing is hindered by our sin. It's hindered by this fallen world we live in. But one day we will experience the fullness of blessing. We will experience that life that is truly life. You've probably heard it said, this is not your home. But do you believe that? Do you believe that this is not your home? Do you believe the word of God? God is speaking to us this afternoon. He's saying, when you meet trials, count it all joy because I am at work in your life. I have not left you alone. Do you trust me? He's saying to you, place my promise on the scale of your heart and your trials will seem light in comparison. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where are you looking? My friends, look to the Lord who is your reward. It's only in that way that when you meet it, you can count it. Because God is preparing you for a rewarded faith. Charles Spurgeon exhorted from this beatitude. He said, it is promised to love, but it is given to endurance. It is the love of God which spies out our love and rewards it, but rewards it partly by trying it. And then ultimately by bringing forth the Sephanos, the crown. He says, men ran for a crown in the Greek games and could not win the crown without the running. So doth God give to them that run a crown, but not without the running. So he give it to them, first the privilege of suffering for his namesake, and then of being rewarded for it. And that reward is God himself. The God who has saved us, the God who keeps us, and the God who will bring us into glory. I want to conclude with three expanded applications 
for our meditation. First, your response in trials can be the assurance of a real, steadfast, wise, and rewarded faith or the evidence of a false, lazy, foolish, and punished faith. While this passage is a great comfort due to God's working in us through trial, it is also a great warning. We must examine ourselves. We must ask ourselves, what is the pattern of our attitude in trial? Perhaps ask someone who knows you well, ask them these questions. Do you observe a real faith that sorrows and rejoices, that begs for grace to be humble in the hard times, Or do you observe in me a false faith that only sorrows and loses patience with God and with others? Do you observe a faith that is lazy, loses heart, gives in to discontent, and collapses under trial? Or that looks to and rests in the steadfastness of Christ and lives after his pattern? Do you observe a faith that foolishly complains and grumbles, worries and ignores, asking for wisdom and prayer? Or a faith that humbly trusts in the Lord through the pain while begging him for wisdom to discern what to do? Do you observe a faith that looks ahead to that eternal reward of perfect blessedness with the Lord our God forever? Or a faith that regularly focuses on the here and now, treats this life as if this is all there is and is headed for eternal punishment? I know that asking these questions may not be comfortable. But God is calling us to examine ourselves because your response in trials can be the assurance of a real, steadfast, wise, or rewarded faith or the evidence of a false, lazy, foolish, and punished faith. Second application, the ultimate reason and counterweight to count it all joy in trials is that our unchanging God is with us. As one theologian wrote, the one who stands behind all things, including our trials, the one who stands at the end of all things, including our trials, and the one who is with us in all things, yes, including our trials, is the unchanging Father of lights, the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, who brought us forth through his word that we might be the first fruits of his creatures, from whom every good and perfect gift descends. My friends, the one who is working in the trial to test you and grow you and perfect you and prepare you is with you every moment in this life. He's with you in every trial, every minute of it, until he takes you home. And if he is for you, then who could be against you? If he has saved you, what trial can destroy you? If he loves you, what trouble can steal your joy. The ultimate reason, the ultimate counterweight to count it all joy in trials is that our unchanging God, the one true and living God who made us and sustains us is with us. He loves us. Lastly, the ultimate example to count it all joy in trials is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 
12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But how? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Are you looking to Jesus? Apart from his grace and apart from looking to Christ, our pattern, we will not count it. But if we're looking to Christ, we can count it all joy when we meet it because God is working in it. I leave you with Calvin. He writes, It is indeed certain that all the senses of our nature are so formed that every trial produces in us grief and sorrow. And no one of us can so far divest himself of his nature as not to grieve and be sorrowful whenever he feels any evil. But this does not prevent the children of God to rise by the guidance of the Spirit, above the sorrow of the flesh. Hence it is that in the midst of trouble, they cease not to rejoice. My brothers and sisters, you may be in trial. You will enter into trial. But when you meet it, count it. Because our God is working in it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in our salvation, our salvation in Christ, because apart from Christ, we would only taste the judgment of our trials and then the full misery of it in eternal punishment. But thank you that through Christ, in Christ, there is no condemnation in our trials that we can rest assured that in the pain, in the trouble, that you are with us, that you will indeed never leave us nor forsake us. Father, grant us grace to remember these truths, to call them to mind. May they be impressed upon our hearts so that as we face trial this week, even this day, in the years to come until glory, that we would count it all joy we would learn to walk in the pattern of our Lord and Savior, your Son. And know that you are working. That you are testing us for a real faith. That you are growing us for a steadfast faith. That you are perfecting in us a wise faith. And the promise that you are preparing us for a rewarded faith. Father, we long for that day when we will be without sin when we will experience no more trial, but experience the perfect blessedness of glory with you forever. Through Christ, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Christ, who intercedes for us in our trouble. 
Through Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray.